Thank you for the Zilstra family for being able to do our scripture reading today. Uh, it's been just such a pleasure being able to hear from all the different families reading our scripture and uh, just being able to see different people from our church. I really appreciate it because it, during this time, it's been very difficult uh, just getting to know people from our church. And I cannot wait until the quarantine is over and we're able to worship in person. And then I can hear you reading scripture uh, out loud in person. Well, I hope you all are doing well during this time of lockdown and that you're figuring out ways of uh, not going crazy at home. For some things that Grace and I like to do is uh, we like to watch our TV. We also play board games and sometimes we'll crack open a book and just take some time reading and I really hope that you guys are able to also figure out some ways of uh, entertaining yourself. Well, one of our movie nights, we decided to watch the movie Togo. And this movie, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's about a dog. And this dog, he leads a sleigh team of like six or seven dogs and the rider and Basically, during this huge snowstorm, this team is supposed to go pick up a serum and deliver it to the village where these sick kids need that serum. And what's remarkable about this story is that they traveled about 260 miles in three days. And this is all during freezing temperatures. Now, one of the uh, amazing things on this journey is that the sleigh driver and his dog they decide to uh, go and take a shortcut and so the sleigh driver he wants to go over this channel of water that's frozen and so when they're going on this channel of frozen water they start to begin hearing cracks here and there and then they see that the around them the ice is breaking and it is just a terrible situation where they almost went into the water. But Togo, the main lead of the uh, whole pack, he is able to jump onto land and pull the sleigh and everybody to safety. Well, Togo reminds me of Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. So you heard his name in the scripture reading, and Joseph is that guy with the coat of many colors. And during our passage, Joseph was called by Pharaoh because of uh, somebody who knew that Joseph could interpret dreams. So Pharaoh has this dream. He calls Joseph to interpret it. And Joseph lets Pharaoh know that there will be seven years, seven years of prosperous, good years where there's a lot of crops and plenty. And then there's seven years of famine. Well, when we get into our passage, this is where Joseph then enacts his policies because Pharaoh puts him as second in command. Well, our passage today, I'm going to read our first section in Genesis 47, 13 through 17. And it says, There is no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph 
collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying. He brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Joseph says, Then bring your livestock. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys, and he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. Well, as I was going through this passage, I saw this one theme come up, and that theme is, when facing crisis, keep calm. Now, I can imagine that crowd that comes up to Joseph. They're ready and just hungry and really just want a solution to this problem. And when you're hungry, I'm sure you're not really thinking straight. And so this crowd is probably angry, irritated, hungry. They come up to Joseph demanding food. Well, on top of that, I'm sure that some of them have heard that Joseph... Uh, he predicted that there would be famine for seven years. Well, I'm sure after the first year, they might not even have believed that it would be seven years. They thought maybe it'll go longer or maybe it'll be shorter. And so at this moment, Joseph has to face this crowd. And I bet that feeling inside Joseph where his heart is beat, beating really fast and he has this weird feeling in his stomach um, I'm sure that at least when I confront somebody in conflict, that, wow, I get that heart beating, my stomach's feeling achy, and I just wanted to get it over with. But Joseph, he is able to interact with the crowd and provide a, a solution. He doesn't let them kind of peer pressure him into something he doesn't want to do. Now, Joseph has a plan in place, and he allows them to sell their livestock. So he's a good example of when we're facing crisis, we need to be calm. And this kind of reminds me of when there's a fire. What do you do when there's a fire in your house or office or school? Well, the number one thing we should always do in that kind of crisis is keep calm. And on top of keeping calm, usually there's a plan put in place where if there's a fire, that's why they go through drills. And some offices, some schools or residential areas, they'll make you go through a fire drill. And so you know what to do during that situation, who to follow, where to exit, and where to meet up that's a safe location. Uh, on top of that, if you actually are caught on fire, your clothes are on fire, it's burning, there are three things that you're supposed to do. Do you know what it is? Yep, it is. Stop, drop, and roll. So these kind of plans in place, as well as um, knowing the three words, stop, drop, and roll, they're all in place to help those in this emergency crisis situation. And Joseph was able to keep his calm during his emergency crisis situation. He had a plan in place where you know, stop, drop, and roll. It helps you to focus on what's the problem 
and then it also helps you to come up with a good solution. And so that's what Joseph was able to do on the fly. He focused on the problem, you know, people are hungry, and then he came up with a solution where it was favorable to all parties. So when you're in crisis, remember to keep calm. I think, you know, some of us might be thinking, ah, oh, when there's a crisis, I really don't know what to do. Maybe Joseph had like God uh, speak to him and come up with ideas on what to do. And there's some kind of divine intervention for Joseph. Well, I know that at least for myself, what helps me remember to keep calm is remembering that we have a God that is mighty and powerful. This God is so amazing and he's on our side that we don't have anything to fear, no matter what the situation is. We're in the middle of quarantine and there's sickness going all around us, but we have a God that's in our corner, that's powerful, that can heal. And I think that when you're facing a crisis that's unexpected, it really helps to just pause. You take a moment and think. You know, slowly think that, you know, I have a God that I believe in that's on my side. I don't have to panic. I don't have to worry. And a Bible verse that has always kind of stuck with me for moments like these is found in Job. So this is Job 38, 4 through 7. And it says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This passage reminds me of how great our God is. This God was able to create the planet Earth and he knew its dimensions and its foundations. It's just, uh, it's amazing to me that the God who created this world is on our side. So remember, when you're facing crisis, to keep calm. Well, that leads us into the next kind of section, which is verses 18 through 26. And it says, when that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from their allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I've bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you 
so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. May we, uh, we will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Well, there's a lot of important points in this passage. And I think overall, it leads to this next topic, that we need to be generous to those in need. We need to be generous to those in need. So you can kind of see this in the beginning. Well, the Egyptians, they survived a year uh, with selling their livestock, but the year has gone and now they're hungry. What are they going to do next? And they know that Joseph knows that they don't have anything left but their bodies and their land. And so pay close attention. They go to Joseph and give him this kind of deal. It's not the other way around where Joseph, he goes to them and kind of says, hey, I know you don't have food, so how about we do this or that? No, instead, they kind of set the terms and Joseph just kind of goes along with it. Well, you see in verse 25, they're actually grateful for what Joseph does. He, um, they say that he saved their lives. And then they also say, may we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. This shows that they're okay with the parameters that are set for this kind of deal that's in place. And before that, that's where it shows that Joseph is being very generous, especially to those in need. And so Joseph, instead of oppressing these needy people, he gives them seed to plant. And with that seed, he tells them, you know, only give one-fifth to Pharaoh, and then four-fifths you get to keep. You can give it to yourself, to your household, or your children. And this is just very generous because he is allowing them to have a livelihood. He's also showing them that through his faith in God, that the famine is going to be over and that they're going to be able to plant seed and continue on. And he's allowing them to keep it for their families. It could have been a worse situation. Joseph could have went up to them and said, hey, you guys can only keep one fifth. Give forfeits to me and Pharaoh. Well, in this situation, we see that Joseph is being generous to those in need. Now, one thing that you need to know about during this time is that the people of the land were used to kind of taking care of themselves in such a way where, you know, they earned their keep. And if you need something, you kind of have to sell what you have, including your own freedom, to get it. And so Joseph wasn't being kind of this evil overlord, making them sell all that they had eventually. Um, 
And this is very different from like American slavery. Some people may think that this is kind of slavery, but Joseph actually is being very generous. He's treating them well, and it, it's um, in such a way that they have a livelihood, and that they're able to kind of work. Instead, in this society, they're not wanting uh, free kind of food. They're not expecting a bailout. Well, Joseph shows that um, we do have to be generous to those in need, and I think that this really reminds me of a story that um, I've heard before, and that story is called Les Miserables. So, uh, borrowing from Father McRae, he writes a, a good kind of synopsis of a scene in Les Miserables, and this is kind of what he writes. He says, In Les Miserables, the convict, Jean Valjean, spent a night at the bishop's house from which, in his fear and desperation, he stole some silver place settings and he fled. Apprehended by police, Jean Valjean was returned to the bishop's house to answer for his new crime. However, Bishop Bienvenu sensed that this crime was paltry next to the real crime, the 19 years stolen from Jean Valjean's life. And if few silver settings did not even begin to atone for that. So to the dismay of the police and the astonishment of Jean Valjean, the bishop declared that the silver was a gift that was freely given to Jean Valjean. And he even threw in two candlesticks that the bishop claimed Jean Valjean had left behind in error. Now this was an act of altruism and kindness and that in the ensuing years set in motion, Jean Valjean's transformation into a man of heroic virtue. And in turn, he would transform others. We never really know where our generosity is going to go. Some of you might be thinking, you know, Joseph, he probably was just a very generous man. This guy already knew how to give, and there's some supernatural thing about him. Like, I, I'm sure that some of us struggle immensely it's incredibly difficult for us to be generous to those around us in need. And, you know, I, I think with all kind of good skills and traits, it comes with practice. And being able to be generous, we have to practice and build up good habits for ourselves where it becomes second nature to us. When you get into a situation where you're thinking, oh, maybe I, I should give to this person. And so we can just do it quickly like that and not have to really think about it for a lot. I know that sometimes the laziness or even, um, even forgetfulness comes into the way of being generous to people. And so we need to have good habits in place where we're able to give generously to those in need. For me, when I was a kid, uh, my parents taught us generosity in two different kinds of ways. So the first way that they taught us generosity was by leading by example. Now, my family, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and his salary was not the greatest. And we lived in Southern California where uh, the cost of living was pretty high. So we were used to uh, living simply and... On top of that, uh, my parents made it a point to tithe their 10% every time. And on top of the 10%, 
they would still give generously to those missionaries that and organizations that they knew that they wanted to support because they knew that God would take care of them if they were to give generously to others in need. Now, the second way that my parents taught me generosity as a kid was when we received money as birthday gifts or just for holidays or anything like that, what we did was we had four different envelopes and we budgeted that money. So a certain portion of that money went into tithing, 10%, and then a portion went to saving, then a portion went to giving, and a portion went to spending. So we had four different envelopes. And at, at a young age, money was just kind of paper to me and just a way to get what I wanted. And I didn't really, like, had a problem. I didn't have a problem with it because it, it was all free to me. So I wasn't thinking, oh, this certain portion of my money is going to this and I'm not able to spend it. Um, and I think that, you know, through these early ways of instilling in us as kids how to be generous, uh, we were able to foster this kind of mentality and practice of generosity where we're prepared to give generously. And, and still, I, I need to continue to learn to be more generous and I just need to set up more practices in our household to do the same. Well, the other part of giving generously is that we don't really do it for a good response from others. We're doing it out of the generosity we have received from God. The ultimate act of generosity from God was to send his son, Jesus Christ, onto that cross for our sins and generously giving us grace, giving us the good news of being able to be with him in heaven. And so when we give generously, that is the main idea. That's the main point of giving generously is that we're reflecting Jesus. We're on top of reflecting Jesus. We are trying to build our character. So when you hit those moments of opportunity to give generously, keep in mind, what is your character showing? Is it reflecting Jesus? Is it reflecting your generosity? And if not, then that's something we just need to work on. Well, that brings us to our last verse in the passage, Genesis 47:27, And it says, Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. And knowing the context of this verse really helps us to see kind of the whole point of this passage, which is working with God leads to leads to success. Again, that's working with God leads to success. And this kind of success is uh, meant to you know, benefit all parties, especially in this crisis situation, all parties were successful because you know the Egyptians they got their food. Pharaoh was able to get his riches. Joseph did his great job, and the Israelites benefited from that. Well, we have to look at the context of this passage to really understand how Joseph and other different layers in this passage there's working with God involved. So when Joseph was called 
by Pharaoh to interpret his dream. This is what he said. It's in Genesis 41:16. He says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, in this passage, it was Joseph pointing to God, saying that, you know, it's all him. It's not me. I can't do anything. No. And in this section, uh, you can see how Joseph has been working with God since that beginning point. And that's why he's able to enact like these wise policies. It was God who gave him the ability to interpret dreams. It was God who gave Pharaoh the dreams and kind of orchestrated this whole situation. And by working with God, Joseph was able to bring success. Now, the next layer that's kind of into this is Joseph's father, Jacob. And we see this in Genesis 46, verses 1 through 7. And it says, So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Now, we see in this passage that Jacob was working with God. God wakes him up in the middle of the night with a vision and says, you know, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. Because over there, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so the way that Jacob worked with God was by trusting him in that. I'm sure that Jacob was afraid, even though he was told to not be afraid. <laughs> I'm sure that in this moment that uh, Jacob didn't know what the future held, but he faithfully went and obeyed God. And because of that, Israel was blessed. If we go back to our verse, it says, now the Israelites settled in Egypt. This is verse 27 from Genesis 47. And it says, they acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. So th this is a different kind of layer. It all probably stems back even further, maybe during times of Abraham, where God promised to make him a uh, father of many nations. But now it's still going on and going on. And by Jacob following God and his promises, God is finally able to make his people blessed and bring success to them where everybody involved is successful. Well, this brings us back to the story of Togo. You see, Togo, he was the lead sled dog, but he worked with his sleigh driver, and together they were able to bring success. Just like Togo, we have to work with our owner, our master, God, and bringing success. And I don't know what that might look like in your situation, but it is probably unimaginable 
amazing things that can be done when we work with God. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, how can I work with God during this time of quarantine? I don't even see people. Well, I think that we need to work with God in all areas of our lives. Whether that means we work with God at home while we're working, or if we have to go into work in different areas. Even for you students, studying and learning from home, I'm sure there's temptation to cheat, to be lazy, uh, to not really put your 100% in. But when we work with God and try to figure out, you know, God, how do we make this work in a way where it's successful? I think when we shift our minds and make that transition, then we're able to find true success by working with God. And I think just like how Togo, you know, gave his devotion to his sleigh driver, we have to give our devotion to God. We have to trust that God will put us in a place of good training and in a place to be able to succeed. Well, a, a good example of this is um, that I've seen is in my own life. So for Grace and I, we discerned with other people that the next call in our lives was to go to seminary. And so we decided that seminary would be all the way on the East Coast and we were coming from the West Coast. Now, I grew up in the West Coast my whole life, and so I did not know what it was like uh, kind of living in an environment that's colder than 50 degrees where it snowed and so we moved all the way to the east coast and just don't not knowing what this is going to look like and to us you know success looks a certain way but sometimes god really changes what we think is success so there's a picture that i'm showing of when we first moved so the first month we found out that our stuff was going to be delayed by a month and so we had to make do. And it was really challenging. It was tough thinking, you know, God, did you really call us to the East Coast just to live kind of in a tent in our living room? Um, that doesn't seem successful. But, you know, God was faithful to us. Eventually our stuff came and uh, we were able to survive through seminary with everything. The other thing that was difficult is that New Englanders are a little bit more thick-skinned and tougher, and so it was hard for us to make friends in the beginning, but eventually we got through to some people and were able to make friends. Well, after seminary, we discerned that the next step was uh, for me to step into pastoral ministry, and that was a whole completely different journey. So we moved to my in-law's house, not knowing when we would be able to move out, um, and we had to just kind of apply to jobs and see what would happen. So I applied to over 150 churches and I did not hear back from a lot of them, not a single word. But eventually down the line of the process, after applying in October, we finally um, were able to move on in the process with NECC. And it, it went down into deciding between two different churches for us and we felt that God was calling us to go and work and be and serving with NECC. And that kind of decision, it was uh, in the midst of the cusp of quarantine and lockdown. And God really just blessed us uh, in being able to 
uh, work with our timing. So not only were we able to find this apartment here, um, but we were able to move during the lockdown and able to be a little bit closer to people. And we've been just blown away by the kindness that you all have given us. And working together with God, I really believe has brought us success in different ways that we didn't expect um, and being blessed to be a part of this church. Even now though, being in lockdown, you know, Pastor X is sick. We don't know what's in store, but I know that I can trust in God because when I work with God, he brings success. And some of you might be thinking, you know, how how do I work with God? What will that kind of look like in my life? And I think, you know, we can work with God and see that in many of the areas of our lives. And what it will take is faith. It'll take devotion and uh, trusting that God would be able to provide for us and trusting in God's commands and his promises. So for some of you, that might look like a person telling you, you know, hey, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should give this person a call and check up on them. Others of you, you might actually feel prompting from the Holy Spirit of, hey, maybe I need to bake some cookies and hand it to my neighbor. Or other ways of just reading through the Bible and you're seeing that there's a, a Bible verse that's telling you, hey, go and feed the poor. So there's different ways where we can work with God in, in the areas of our lives, but we have to build up these good habits to be able to do that. And so if you're having problems trying to figure out where God is calling you to work with him, feel free to talk with me or any of the other staff and we'll be able to help you kind of discern that. But I think the best way to start, the best way this all begins is by practicing prayer and daily devotion. So daily devotion, what that might look like is you open a passage in the Bible, you read it, reflect about it, and then apply it to your lives. And through that practice of application and getting to know God's commands and his scripture, through that, we're able to then understand, hey, this is an area where God is calling us to work with him. So remember, as you go in through your weeks, that working with God will bring success, even though it might not look like what we expect it to be. Well, let's take some time to pray. Dear Lord, we just ask that you show us the ways where you are working in our lives. We ask that you would be able to bring encouragement to us, reminding us that you are such a powerful God that you're able to create the world, the universe, and you're still on our side, and that you care about our problems deeply, and that you're here to work with us. Lord, I pray for all those who are dealing with sickness and death and loss and just all the terrible things of this year. I pray that we begin to look forward to the future and see the glimmer of hope that you bring to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God is so good to us. And 
I can say without a doubt all my life he has been faithful. And I know that some of you may not be feeling that goodness right now, especially when you're stuck at home and hearing the news and all these just terrible things. But remember that God is good and he loves us. So as you're going into your uh, days this Monday and the next day after that and the days after that, just remember and center around the goodness of God. Romans 8, 38-39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Go with God this week.